We have an interview with a former polygamist worldwide next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Welcome to our program today. We have a very interesting guest this time, a former plural wife uh, whom I had um, I had seen through Facebook communication, but really never did meet her until she posted a little condensed version of her story uh, on a Facebook comment. And then we got together and decided that she would tell her story on her program. I want to quote part of what she wrote, uh, the condensed version of her experience as a plural wife in polygamy. She said, I was a slave labeled as a wife in polygamy. I was sold as 16, given to a man I never wanted to be with. I was not favored and had hardships because I was not able to produce a baby every year. I worked four jobs to support the children I had. They paid me minimum wage, and I worked 80 hours a week to pay my bills to support my small children and feed them. I worked for the church and had babies for the church. I was told how cattle have a baby every year and how to make sure that baby is a girl. Because the man I was sold to was never home, I had to understand how my body works and how to have that baby and that it be a girl. I was not human, but was a slave. If a wife or the man wanted to hit me, they did. To top it all off, my money was in the church, and I was not allowed to get it when I needed it. I was proud. I was my ex's most expensive wife. I was happy to be told how cows work. It helped me have my kids. I was happy working seven days a week. I was so happy to have a savings for the church to use and not feed my family with. But it is so crazy looking back. I would never want my kids to live like that, end quote. That, by the way, is the way someone described communism. They make sure that the people are happy to have nothing and happy to be deprived while they serve those who control them. And that's what polygamy is, is religious communism. When I first read this, spirit, this statement, I experienced the usual revulsion uh, against the polygamy groups and their leadership that coerces and intimidates and deceives and exploits, especially the female members, so abusively. So I contacted her and asked if she would feel comfortable telling her story on a program. We met for lunch. We had a great conversation and made plan for today's interview. I would like to introduce and thank Julie Ann Fraley, ex-member ex-plural wife from the Kingston Polygamy Group. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being willing to share. There's not a lot of people who really feel comfortable sharing their story. And I am so glad that you do have the courage to do this. And we want to talk about, of course, what we just, this condensed version, you know, there's a lot of detail to go into, and about your experiences of being married in the Kingston Group. So um, how long has it been since you've been out? 13 years. You've been out 13 years. Good, mm -hmm. good going. Um, I'm sure it's been a time of learning and a time right. of trial and error and, and yeah. almost like going into a brand new world and learning how it works. Definitely culture shock. <laughs> yeah, it is a culture shock. So let's start at the beginning. You were born and raised in the Kingston Group. Uh, you were married in the Kingston Group. Your parents, were they polygamous? Yes, my mom was the third wife. She was a third wife, okay. Mm -hmm. So you knew what it was to grow up in a polygamist home mm -hmm. with a father you probably didn't know was your father for 
right. first few years at least. Yeah, I found out when I was five. Oh, you found out that young. Yeah, the one of the sisters were out. talking about it and told us. Um, ah, they snuck the truth to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it happened with me. My brother told me. I, you know, and it was, but I wasn't. I was ten. Yeah. I found out. Yeah, she was older, so she was learning and uh -huh. let me know. <laughs> wow. What did? What kind of a shock was it? A shock to you, or were you so I didn't young? Believe you her. couldn't really understand it. <clears throat> Yeah, it was a little bit of all. I didn't believe her. I didn't know what she's talking about. Nobody had a dad that I knew, so yeah. I didn't. I didn't get the concept of a father. Yeah. Well, yeah, you wouldn't if you don't know what it is. Yeah, no one had one. Until you get older. Yeah. How? So your parents were polygamous. Yes. How many siblings do you think you have? Do you know how many you have? Um, I'm the oldest out of thirteen from my mom, but. We're thinking there's about 200 siblings from my Two, dad. 200 from your dad have 200 kids. Yeah. At least, maybe. Around. Give or take a few. <laughs> maybe more, yeah. but I don't know. Do you, you obviously don't personally know them all. No, I don't. Uh, do you have a relationship with, with any of them now? Um, a couple. Maybe a handful or maybe. It yeah. depends on the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whenever they're struggling, I get to talk to some and when yeah. they leave I get to talk to them. Do you ever, does it ever overwhelm you to think you've got that many brothers and sisters? Sometimes. Sometimes you can feel them and yeah. feel their hardships and you really hurt for yeah. them. See my, my dad only had two wives and he had eight children from each wife so we weren't in the dozens and dozens of siblings like you have so it's, it's even a concept that's hard for me to imagine although I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, are there marriages in the group that aren't polygamist? Um, there's some. A lot of the, like, the men get lost if you're not part of the leader's brothers or the leader's sons. Then mm -hmm. a lot of them get lost and have to go find some from out of the church or they get one for that reason or don't so, even get married. No, they don't get married at all. I know some, yeah, who don't get married at all and they promise them eternal life anyway because they stay and faithfully work for the They tell group. them someday soon. Uh, someday. They work harder. Yeah, all based on work. Huh? So, <clears throat> your childhood, you you were the the oldest of your mm -hmm. mother's children and there were yes. how many in her family? Um, she had 13. 13 kids. So you yeah. had 12 full brothers and sisters. Yes. Would you s describe your childhood as being safe and happy? Was it miserable and abusive? How would you describe it? Um, I felt like I was an adult at 15, or at five. I was an adult at five. <laughs> <laughs> so I started picking up the kids from daycare around five years old and taking them home and... Obviously walking. <laughs> yeah, they, they had daycare about a block away. My school was probably about a mile away and I walked home hmm. and went and picked up the kids, went home at five and I just felt like I was an adult and hmm. took care of everything around that age. And responsibility. Continued. And they, they do put responsibility, great responsibility on the younger kids, very, right. very young age, they do. Yeah, I felt like I was their mother. Did you feel... Um, abused at all? Did you feel like that you weren't understood? Were, were you physically abused? I, um, I know a lot of them suffer that. There was a lot of physical abuse, but I just, there wasn't a lot of adults around. And when there was an adult, there was also 20 children around. So kind of got lost in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was either the adult or 
not seeing mostly. So it was kind of, I just uh-huh. felt it was fine, except for, you know, you get caught. Yeah. I'd just be like, you're not my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you didn't know, you really wouldn't know the parameters of a normal family life anyway. Mm-mm. What it was like to be just a mother and father home and, and be a kid. I watched TV and got a lot of tips from there on how to parent my children at five. Yeah. Well, you being the oldest... Uh, you had a lot of mothering experience by the time you became mm-hmm. a mother yourself. Right. Right. Okay. Um, now, you learned when you were five about your, who, the fa- who your father was. But how old were you when you realized or, or fully understood what this polygamy really was? How old when you comprehended it? Um, I mean, there was levels of understanding around eight there was another understanding like that there were other moms and their other wives and things and then around 12 I started like really understanding how families come together Uh and then after getting married you realize it's even different another shocking experience there I understand that the Kingston group has what they call marriage classes for Mm -hmm. young girls um, are they mandatory or are they optional? Um, it's like going to Sunday school. So there, it's just what you do. There's no questions. So it's mandatory in that respect. Yeah. It's just what yeah, you do. At what age did you uh, begin to attend those classes? And, and what ages were the girls in the class? Um, for my generation, that didn't start till about 11. Um, you but, make it sound like that's old. <laughs> it was that's pretty young for a marriage class, really. <laughs> but when I was starting to leave in the process, my children at eight years old were starting the classes at eight. Really? Your girls? So, the boys yeah. had marriage classes too? Um, I didn't see any books for the boys. It was mostly just how to work and how to manage money. But for the girls, it was that was the name of their... Sunday school book was Preparation for Marriage. And what did they teach in those classes? Um, what I remember being taught is make sure you have a good toothbrush for him, make sure you have his favorite clothes, keep the house the a way he wants. A good toothbrush for your husband Yeah, and his favorite clothes. <laughs> and like just make sure everything's set up perfect because he has options and he's not going to come to your house if it's not set up the way he wants it to be. Ooh. Yeah. That's not nice. So it was pretty much just make everything perfect for him so that he'll want to be home. Well, how many classes do you have to have to learn something like that? I mean, would they go into more detail? They would go into a lot more detail, like some men like this toothbrush and some men like this clean or their food cooked this way. So let's teach you how to cook their food this way. Watch, like notice how their mom cooks. Notice it, it was just something every Sunday we learned. Huh. Interesting. Did you like the classes? Was this all I knew? You just thought that's just it, what you did, yeah. Yeah. How many girls were in the class? All you, of them. And how many would that be? Um, like, yeah, mine wasn't as many. We had about 15 my age. Who taught the class? Um, there was a time where Paul came in and taught us. Ooh. And then some of his wives would come in and teach us. Now, Paul Kingston would be the leader, the yes. leader of the group, okay. Or, yeah. or one of his wives would. Yeah. Um, 
But I was also in that family, so maybe that's why my classes were held by them. Mm. So they would have different classes then with different people teaching in yeah. the class, okay. But they would teach the same thing, okay. Um, <clears throat> we know that the Kingston group believes that everyone must have Kingston blood flowing through their veins in order to be pleasing to God and to get to the high heaven and all of that to be considered worthy, which results in mandatory incest. Mm -hmm. In what way or ways are your parents related to each other? Um, my mom and dad have the same father. They have different mothers, but so they're half siblings. Okay. Um, and we're gonna talk more about your marriage a little bit later on, but this question fits in here. Also, were you related to your husband? Yes. Uh, they gave me away to the leader's firstborn son, which was my dad's brother. So he's my first cousin. So your mother and father were brother and sister, and you married your first cousin. Yeah. Okay. And this happens a lot in the group, right? Everybody mm -hmm. just is, it's just so inbred that it's a tangled yeah. family tree. Right. <laughs> just to put it very <laughs> kindly. Um, Polygamous wives in the Kingston group will assume a fictitious name when they get married, when they become a plural wife. They don't want to be able to be traced. Uh, of course, you know, nothing's as secret as they think it is. Did your mother take a fake last name and did you? And how do they choose what last name to take? Yes, my mother took Robinson and she chose it because it was very common. Uh-huh. I ended up picking one that I was related to because I wanted my children to have a name that actually meant something to us. Okay. So it was like my great-great-grandma's. Your great-great, so you took a family name to, for your last name. But there really is, it was no husband or no man that carried that name that you assumed by legitimate marriage. Yeah, no, I made it up. Or, you know, yeah. you, you can make it up yeah. as long as it's in... The way they looked at it for me is they looked at the phone book and was like, as long as there's at least a whole page with that last name, you can pick it. <laughs> so it's not very That's personal, findable. So personal way to get married, isn't it? <laughs> One of the most important things in a person's life is their marriage and, and they treat name. it so, so badly. Uh, members of the Kingston Group, by the way, are also, the Kingston Group is also known as the Order. Many people will refer to it as the Order. We referred it to the Co-op when I was growing up uh, because it was a cooperative. And, but it was an order, a cooperative, and the Kingston Group. And, and people who grow up in it are required to work in the Kingston-owned, the Order-owned businesses. Um, and then many of them begin working at a very early age. So, did you work at a Kingston business, and how old were you when you first began to work um, for I them? I started getting part-time jobs around six. You're six years old. Six years old, and then I got a full-time job at 12. What part-time job did you do at six, and did you get paid? We would pass flyers, stuff envelopes. Um, sometimes we'd go... I remember putting together quiet books at the Dixon building. Oh, so uh -huh. just whatever tiny job or we'd work on the farm on, in the summer at Washakie. So uh -huh. there were some options, but as for full time where we could get there every day, it, 
I mean, it, it's hard when you're six. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, it is. Yes, yes. Did you look forward to any of your work that you did, or would you rather have stayed home and been mother? I loved both. <laughs> so to me, it was exciting. I remember Paul getting up in church and saying, we need to have more full-time jobs for nine-year-olds. Oh. And I was super excited because I was nine, and I still didn't have a full-time job. Wow. Wow. So it was it was something what we were all excited money? about. Did they promise you a, a decent wage or you were just proud to work for the, as you put it in yeah. your comments, I got to work for the church. <laughs> yeah, I was happy to work for the church. I think back then we got about 12 cents an hour. 12 cents. <laughs> like it, I don't ever remember even getting paid before I was 12 and had a full-time job. Wow. But it was fun. We yeah. got together and we worked really hard. A lot of kids getting together doing all these things for them. And and it can be made fun, especially when you're too young to know that you're being, yeah, you know, so. Yeah, running around neighborhoods, <laughs> passing flyers is a lot of fun for a six-year-old. So when you got older and and was working for them, um, did you get a decent wage? And did you see any of the money? It was about a dollar ten, an hour. So I got enough to buy some candy and pay my mom a little bit of rent. Oh, yeah. You paid your mother rent? Mm -hmm. How old? Twelve. Okay. So we learn how to be an adult early, don't we? In the yeah. Groups. And when you're buying your own groceries, it's candy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because <laughs> so, you're 12. <laughs> that would be my first choice, too, <laughs> at that age. Let's talk about the depression and the hopelessness of the young teenagers and young adults in the group. They suffer poverty. They have little or no control over their personal lives and the personal decisions. When a young girl or young boy, for that matter, begins to think for themselves or make statements or choices that's not in line with the what the group wants you to think or decide, um, they can become rebellious and firm, you know, in wanting to make their own personal choice. Is it true that they discipline them by sending them to a private reform home? And, and if so, what's it like? Do you know what it's like? I've had some siblings end up in that home. Uh, they said they're pretty much locked up in a room and they had told the home people that these children were doing drugs so they would not listen, listen to them, they'd call them liars. And so they were pretty much like so being told they were sobering up, <laughs> but mm. they weren't. They were just not wanting to marry who they were told to. For me, mm -hmm. I was just locked up in my room with my mom. So if she left the house, I had to go be by her side. I went to, she got a ticket once and I went to driver school with her because <laughs> I wasn't allowed to leave her side. So oh I went my. everywhere. Wow. I was pretty much locked up by her side. Mm -hmm. But they have found places that will take the kids if they claim they do drugs. So they're not, uh, so they say they do drugs even though they haven't been doing drugs, but right. they use that as an excuse to put them there. But they are, the homes are not owned or operated by the Kingstons themselves? I've heard they're not, but I don't know. I don't know why they would not listen to these kids. Yeah, it seems kind of something strange right. going on that, that you're not told. Um, suicide in polygamy groups is pretty much silenced. Uh, but you want to talk about 
a teenager, a younger sister of yours, actually, that committed suicide. Um, and we want you to be able to say whatever you want to say about it. I know it's a very painful thing and a hurtful thing and the devastation that caused you and your family. So explain to our viewers what you want us to know about what happened, why she did it, how old she was, um, how sensitive were the parents and the leaders to her problems. Um, her mother was really ill at the point that she was you know, 14 is a really hard age already. And then to have her mother be really sick and have all the other mothers in the house really tormenting her, she wanted to leave. She wasn't ready for marriage, which at that age you're supposed to be. And she wanted to run away. So when she came to my house, of course, I had to turn her over to the authorities. And they put her at the Christmas box house where to her, you know, it was kind of just a isolating, locked-up place. Now they put her in the Christmas box house. Yeah. Okay. Now she's fourteen. Yeah. Okay. And then when they went to court, they sent her back to the church and to her mom. And so she realized she didn't have another choice on leaving. She realized there was no way she could live the life she wanted to, marry who she wanted to. And she felt like it was just better to not exist in that situation and not be a burden because mm -hmm. she felt like a burden. They treated her like she was, her run, trying to run away to my house, they really upped the abuse and torture. And, and what kind of abuse and torture are you talking about? Her siblings was telling her, how dare you want to leave? They were telling her she was better off not on this earth. They were just constantly tormenting her because we're taught to stay there and be happy. And now <laughs> here she is not happy and not wanting to stay. And there's no support for that. No support for that at all. Not even in the Utah court system. That's Nobody right. could help her. That's right. They want, they'll send you right back to your parents, regardless of the polygamist home or other conditions. So, um, did she try to get help from, get her parents to understand where she's coming from? Or the leaders, did they listen to her at all? Nobody was going to support her wanting to leave or wanting to... Or even to make situation. her life better while she, if she stayed. Was there any... No, nothing? there wasn't a lot of support. So, I mean, you have one adult per 100 kids. There's... Mm -hmm. There's just and no way. children raising children. Mm-hmm. That's the, the marrying age, so they're not going to. The peer pressure is horrendous mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. So what did she do? She ended up passing away on September twenty seventh. So. And she was only fourteen. She only killed 14. herself. Mm -hmm. Committed suicide. Yeah, she couldn't handle it anymore. What happened after? after they found her after, did she leave a note behind um she left a lot of stuff i wasn't in the church so what i've heard is they burned all her belongings and they oh. burned all her notes and they just threw away everything she owned and wanted to pretend she didn't ever exist because she um her dad said pretty much well she made a choice and she's not going to be with us so we're not going to honor her, rem remembering her. 
You don't believe that today, do you? I mean, I would never. <laughs> She's like a child to me, and yeah. I was there every day of her life, so. Yeah, yeah. Was there any grief? I mean, did, were they able to show grief? Would they dare show grief over her passing? Um, I mean, that's a tragedy. That a young 14-year-old girl would kill herself. And, and there's... And yeah, I was not allowed. I couldn't go to my sister's funeral. Because you were, had left by then, and so you were ostracized. Yeah, so I didn't get to go or be around. I heard rumors of them saying they weren't going to put a headstone on her grave. I ended up, someone ended up reaching out to me, and I was able to approve of one on her grave, but the church would have not. Couldn't have done it. And they threatened to not even do a funeral because they didn't feel like she deserved it, mm. but then my siblings fought for one, but I wasn't able to go. Oh, wow. So it was pretty tragic and sad because there were other options. There are always other options. And that's part of what we want to do as, as a ministry, is we want to bring the truth of this out and also reach out and help anybody who would mm -hmm. call us or contact us if you're ever in that situation. Give us a call because we can, we can uh, do something to And her passing encourage. helped many other young girls her age find their way out. Good. And just be very persistent on leaving when they saw how unjust that whole system was and mm -hmm. how much they really didn't show any care for her. And what's interesting is that the Mormonism as a whole says that they're family-oriented, their families are forever, and, and they love and support their families. But that's only if they meet certain conditions. You have to believe the way we tell you to believe or we're not going to love you and support you. Right. And that's devastating. It is, especially for a child who can't even comprehend. Right. So had had they had her in line for a marriage? Yeah, they she, were working out marriages for her, and she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. She didn't want it. Right, right. Um, we're about out of time for this first. We're going to be doing a two-part here with Julie, um, but you wanted to make sure that people knew about this. There are suicides that take place in polygamy groups that the public doesn't know yeah about it's not made public uh, and i just heard about another one a couple of weeks ago in a different group where a woman was so devastated and just totally um without hope and so she did away with herself and it's so sad because there is hope yeah. outside of polygamy there definitely is i mean at 14 the hardest part is the utah justice system will not support you leaving your parents and she she would have to hold out four years, and to a 14-year-old, that is forever. It is forever, and all the abuse that can take place in that four years that mm -hmm. she's waiting for, and the forced marriage, and then she's already, she'll be having four children, children by then, or at least right. three, and then she, it's almost impossible to leave at that point, as far as they know. Right. So it is a never, it's, it's an awful spiral, uh, one that we can work through. Mm -hmm. If if they if we know about it and they want our help, we can certainly work through it with them. We just want everyone to know that too. So we're going to further finish our discussion with Julie in our next segment. So watch next time in part two of our interview with Julie and Fraley, former uh, plural wife in the Kingston Polygamy Group. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy: What Love Is This. 
with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.